Hey, what is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I do here at least monthly on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel in a video form. However, it is also available on most major podcasting platforms like, well, an actual podcast if you just want an audio-only version of it. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word, on your favorite podcasting app or provider, and you should hopefully be able to find it. It's not available on all platforms but it's available on most of them, so you should hopefully have some way of checking it out there if you just want to listen to it. Anyways, first things first, I do want to apologize for not releasing an episode last month. Uh, Last month, there was just good stuff for sure, but there was just a lot going on uh, in my offline life and everything, Uh, and that has to come first. And just when it came down to scheduling and all that, I just couldn't make an episode happen, but I said, you know what, I'm definitely going to do one for December, so we'll see what's going on here, and there's actually some really awesome stuff here as well, too, which I am excited for, so that was even a little disappointing as well, don't worry, it's not like I just happily skipped an episode, I was like, damn, this is going to be a good episode that I'm going to skip, but it's all good, because we're not really missing out on much, we're just going to bring everything over to December, and there's been a lot. We should probably just jump right into it here. First of all, this is related to the original Xbox in the form of the Xenium and Open Xenium mod chips. In case you do not know, the Xenium chip is a really great mod chip for the original Xbox, and Open Xenium is right now, at least in my opinion, if you are trying to gun after a new open sourced mod chip, it's probably the best one that you can get out on the market. That's what I'm saying right now, December 2021. However, Dustin over from Make Megahertz has really ran with this thing, and Make Megahertz is the same company that makes the uh, Xbox HD Plus or Xbox HDMI, which I have reviewed here on the channel. Now, he states here on Twitter, over the last couple of weeks, we've been very busy reverse engineering the OS, Xenium OS, found on the Xenium series of mod chips for the original Xbox. And today, we're happy to announce that we're now providing software fixes and improvements. Now, this is great just because the mod chip itself has been reverse engineered, and you can, I mean, build it completely open source. Like, that's great. Uh, But the actual OS on there, Xenium OS, it is freely available. You can download it. You can flash it to the chip itself. But that alone itself is still using the original OS there, which is complete but buggy there's still some issues and some things that don't work with it i mean the chip is great don't get me wrong the os works pretty well but there's just a few things that are busted on there that we can even talk about on here continuing through it this is the first update for xenium os in over 15 years this has been a huge undertaking and would have been possible without the work from love megahertz risey 11 9 and xbox 7887 With the first release, we're addressing a video output issue on 1.6 systems via component video. We've also identified the self-destruction logic that would erase the bootloader and render the Xenium unusable if certain checks fail. Absolutely crazy. So that was removed. The issue with patching Xenium OS in the past has been the limitations of static analysis on a system that heavily uses memory overlays, code obfuscation, and LTO. With the combined effort of everyone, we were able to emulate the Xenium mod chip inside of XMU, an Xbox emulator, and that's really cool. We now have full memory dumps, and by working backward, we were able to determine an entry point for injecting code fixes improvements. With this, we have full control of Xenium OS. We'll be releasing our Ghidra project soon, 
and of course more to come. Now we can even look over at the Make Megahertz GitHub page and the repository for Xenium firmware update and checking it out right here. This is a firmware update for Xenium OS used on Xenium and Open Xenium mod chips to provide software fixes and various improvements. So yeah, it's not just, that's another thing too that I wanna stress, it's not just open Xenium, it's even for the original Xenium mod chips if you still have one of those installed or if you get a hold of one of them here. And all the instructions are available on this. And of course, looking at the 2.3.2 release, this does have the two changes that were talked about earlier. So this is really awesome stuff for anybody with a Xenium and most likely an open Xenium mod chip. Next up is also something really cool to see. This is from the Zelda 64 reverse engineering team and this is well announcing that Ocarina of Time has been fully decompiled, uh, much like we've seen with other games such as Super Mario 64. So they have a main site here which is Zelda64.dev which covers you know if you want to join their discord, if you want to check out the development of this, and of course releases and resources to their decompilation tools, some guides, Zelda documentation, and much more. The progress page does show that this is for the Ocarina of Time Master Quest debug build specifically, but as of December 7th, 2021, this has been completely decompiled. Now, it looks like they're also working on Majora's Mask and Minish Cap, but that is one thing to note on here. This is not just for the standard retail release of it. This is for the Master Quest debug ROM or build. Now, looking at the GitHub repository here, you're able to find everything available on this, and if you're wanting to really mess around with this yourself, in which you're able to take the ROM and then get the decompiled source code from this, all the instructions to do that as long as you provide the ROM yourself are all available here and it doesn't seem too hard to do thankfully. Uh, the instructions here are pretty easy to follow for the most part but even as for a visual modern vintage gamer actually took a look at this himself which is really cool to see because not only he went through the setup on here but even going through all of this he ended up showing the process of this here and then even messed around with the source code a bit just to show what could be done. So just things like adjusting the field of view, adjusting the fog, getting rid of the skybox. So looking at all this here, we have full readable, like human readable C code, and this is great to see. Now, some people might be wondering what are going to be the benefits from this. First of all, for research purposes, like if you've ever wanted to really dabble in this, see what's going on behind the scenes, this is a great way of doing it as well, especially if you're trying to familiarize yourself or even learn C. I mean, this is going to be difficult here, but it's at least a starting point, like something that might be more interesting to people as opposed to just like demo, like demo projects and such. Now, on top of that, the big thing when it comes to modifications, when it comes to improvements, is that now people have really since the source code would be available in open source, they would have full control of the game. So this increases the standards and the possibilities with modding even further, and of course even allows fixes as well too. We've seen this with Super Mario 64, for example, where there was a decompilation project in which the game was fully decompiled a few years ago, and people have been able to take that, they've been able to just really increase the limit of, and just blow past you know the previous limit of what they could do with modifications because it's different. It's a whole new world when you have the full source code available and you can manipulate any little bit at that point. On top of that as well too, 
the exciting thing is also that we could get some ports out of this. So that was one thing that we end up seeing from Super Mario 64, in which people were able to take the source code from the N64 decompilation, and they were able to utilize that to port it to, first of all, the PC, and then make a native Switch port. And not like Super Mario 64 that's on the 3D All-Stars bundle or even the N64 online service. This was like a really good native widescreen like native switch app on there it wasn't emulated it was natively running on the switch ran at full 60 frames per second it was beautiful it was great so it was on switch it was on playstation vita i believe i don't remember if it got ported to 3ds on there but either way there's been many different ports to other platforms that have been accomplished thanks to that. The PS2 was one of them, actually. I remember that. I was actually able to play it on PS2 and actually say, hey, I played Mario on PS2, like, natively on PS2, not emulated. Like, this was a native Mario game on the PS2. So you even get really cool stuff like that. Either way, it's awesome to see projects like this, and I do look forward to seeing what we will get from this in the coming months. I'm predicting we're probably going to get some fixes for Ocarina of Time. We're probably going to get some crazier mods, better mods on this as well. Uh, of course, I guess performance fixes is what I was mentioning there, but then ports I'm sure are going to follow, most likely with like, you know, native Ocarina of Time on PC and then seeing it on other platforms. That'd be really cool. So this is cool. This just looks like a PS5 share photo, but there's a few more pieces to this. And this is of course in regards to the PlayStation 5. First of all, you'll see this is from The Flow. Now, The Flow has worked on amazing pieces of software for the PSP, like working on custom firmware there, uh, has done a ton for the Vita scene in terms of H Encore, H Encore Squared, Trinity, uh, just those jailbreaks, all of them for the PlayStation Vita and bringing Hinkaku to later firmwares and making that a reality. And of course, you know, things such as Adrenaline, even still for the PS Vita, which is able to really fully unlock the ePSP on there and essentially give you full custom firmware PSP access on the Vita. So right here, we're just seeing that he's sharing his screen on the PS5 with this screenshot. Now you'll even notice this is from PlayStation Network. This was sent on November 7th, 2021. So this was all on the latest firmware at the time and connected to the internet. Now this is exciting here because you'll notice down at the bottom, it says debug settings, which shows, I mean, if you know, you know, but I'll go ahead and explain it here. He was technically able to jailbreak the PlayStation 5. Now he does also mention no plans for disclosure, no ETA. And even on top of that, it seems like once the flow end up sharing that, others wanted to come out of the woodworks and another prolific team here was Fail Overflow showing decrypted PS5 firmware files and saying that they have sensitive keys for the PlayStation 5. Now, just checking out this article here, it's stating after the flow shared what appears to be a PS5 kernel exploit on latest PS5 firmware, at the time, the Fail Overflow hacking group came back from the dead with a screenshot of what appears to be a fully decrypted file, part of a PS5 firmware update, which we're able to see right here. I mean, this is all in hex, but if you look over on the right, this is more human readable. And it was even confirmed later on, stating that they have all the PS5 root keys, all of them are symmetric, meaning encryption decryption, and they can all be obtained via software. 
that blows my mind. Okay, they are all available through software. <laughs> now, still quoting this article, they do ask, what do decryption keys mean for the PS5? First, that they have some pretty big hack that let them access highly secure locations of the PS5 in order to extract the decryption keys of their test devices. Knowing fail overflow, the hack most likely involves some significant hardware glitching, but the tweet doesn't give any details, so we'll have to wait for a write-up on their blog if they feel like it. Whether they will show how to reproduce this hack and whether it will be easily doable for people without their hardware skills is another story. Bottom line, Fail Overflow probably have full control of the PS5 through a kernel exploit or most likely something even more potent than that. Second, assuming more people eventually become able to reproduce their exploit, it means ultimately that decrypted firmware files will be available for hackers. This would make reverse engineering of the PS5 firmware possible, and from there opens up possibilities for finding future exploit and or writing custom firmwares or homebrew enablers. So, what does this mean? Well, the PS5's been jailbroken already, technically. <laughs> and this happened a lot quicker than I expected. So, is there any type of timeline? Is there anything that's in development that we know of? Is there anything that we're going to be getting? Nothing is guaranteed at this point. Like, even though this has been jailbroken privately and this has been announced, this is not a guarantee for anything to come out. However, if you are looking for something, if you have a PlayStation 5 or you're wanting to get a PlayStation 5 and you want it jailbroken, the best thing to do would be to wait, to keep your system offline, or even as others have been saying, and I've recommended as well too, but it's harder to recommend this, and I still recommend it, but I say it's harder because PlayStation 5s are still really hard to find right now in stores at MSRP at non-scalped prices, but getting a hold of a second PlayStation 5 and keeping it offline on that lower firmware. And typically with stuff like this, the lower firmware your system is on, the better. We've seen this with the PlayStation 4 before as well. When firmware 1.76 ended up getting jailbroken, it was something very similar to this in which CTERT had announced it, and there was even some stuff that was later on released for it. Now, it did become more usable and had some more end-user applications and plugins and payloads and such later on. Not plugins, I meant to say payloads. However, that was another situation as well where it was, hey, this was announced, this is the vulnerable firmware, you're going to want to keep your PS4s on there or get a second PS4 that's on a low firmware and keep it offline. Except this time it's going to be on the PlayStation 5. Now there has been a new update for the PlayStation 5. So there is a really long <laughs> firmware string on the PS5. Currently, if you're listening to this episode right now and your PS5 is fully updated and you're able to go online, too late. At least that we're looking at here. We are running on the assumption that these jailbreaks have probably, like, the, at least the exploits here that have been demonstrated have been patched. That's the assumption that we can run on here just to be safe. However, the firmware that is going to be patching this possibly that we can speculate on is going to be 21.02-04.50. I'll even show that on screen somewhere as well, too. So when it comes down to that, that means that if you are on that firmware or higher, the one that I'm mentioning, then this might be patched for you. But if you're on a lower firmware, you're going to want to keep your PlayStation 5 offline if you are wanting to 
hopefully modify that in the future or mess around with it in any way. Now, I was mentioning the PlayStation 4, and this seems to back up what we've been seeing as well. Over on the Hacker One page for PlayStation, just recently, there was actually some bug bounties that were paid out to Seaturt and The Flow, which many are speculating might be in regards to the PlayStation 4 and or PlayStation 5. However, we have gotten a few hints right here that there might be, might, might be a jailbreak coming for firmware 9.00. Now, I'm more quickly touching up on this just because this is nothing that's fully confirmed. This is nothing that is officially announced. This is nothing that has a release out in the wild or any proof of concept. However, we are seeing a few things which could be indicative of something coming out. And could it be firmware 9.00? Possibly. At the moment I'm recording this, the latest exploitable firmware in public for PS4 is 7.55. However, just looking at this here, it has compiled a few tweets from, again, the flow, just with a hashtag saying 900, probably just trying to do a hashtag of 9.00, referencing the PS4's 9.00 firmware. And Zeko Shao states here, 9.03, which is the latest firmware that rolled out here, might have fixed a kernel bug exploit in the XFAT file system. Do not update if you want to have some memes. So yet again, it looks like there is something that might be coming out for the PlayStation 4. I'm kind of trying to say this all carefully here just because I really don't want to add any fuel to a fire that might or might not be there. So that's why I'm not making too much of a mention of it in this video here. Now, if we do have something released, I will do something more in depth like I did when 7.55 and 7.02 were released. And I might even do, you know, some kind of, you know, buying guide in a way, just showing how you can get a hold of a lower firmware PlayStation 4. But Yet again, I will say for the PlayStation 5 here, if you are wanting something for the PlayStation 4, like if you're in that spot where you're on a firmware higher than 7.55, but you haven't fully updated your system, then you're probably going to want to keep your PlayStation 4 offline. Right now, there's no hard confirmations, but it's seeming like firmware 9.00 is going to be what something might release for. But yet again, if you're on a lower firmware than that, don't update to 9.00. Just, just stay where you're at. When it comes to these things, the lower firmware you're on, the better, and whatever releases will release in due time. Now, here's something absolutely near and dear to me. This is the Xbox 360, probably my favorite console of all time. And part of that is due to really the modding scene that I grew to love and really get quite deep into on here. And I still have love for this. However, this announcement ended up coming out, and this was real cool to see. Uh, one of my friends, friend of the show here, Octal or Octal450 or Josh Davidson, ended up releasing this video here called RGH3 by 15432. And this is essentially, I mean, <laughs> this is not a soft mod first and foremost, but this is kind of going end game on the Xbox 360. This is almost even a return to form in a way because you see everything is wired up right here in regards to the NAND points. So you can, you know, wire this up and then read 
modify and write your NAND back to the system. But you're going to notice he has some wiring right here and there's going to be some on the bottom of the board. And this is a reset glitch hack system. This is not a you know, zero fuse CPU system. This is not a dev kit. This is not a JTAG or SMC modified system. This here is a reset glitch hack system, but, but where is the chip? Where is the chip? Well, that's the thing here. I mean, he, so, he shows Zell on this, and I'm trying to find, does he show the bottom? I don't think he does. No, 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 I think he does. Okay, here, here, we see the bottom of this, but this is no trickery. It's really just two wires at the end of the day here. This is, this is a chipless reset glitch hack. I never thought I would see this, and this is probably the closest we would ever get to a soft mod on the Xbox 360. Now, this has been released as well, too, and this is 15432 himself here. Now, he ended up making this video just showing a few different motherboards for the Xbox 360. Talking about it, you can see that this has all been wired up. There's no glitch chip on here. He kind of explains a bit on this, and he ends up, you know, hooking up these systems, booting them up, and just going through the process while talking this all through. I'll go ahead and let him boot up one here. Well, let him, it's his own modification. But as you can see, he boots it up, and we're able to get Zell showing up on there. Awesome. The glitch times on this seem really great as well, too. This is still reset glitch hack, so there are glitch times. However, most of the time, it seems like people are able to get great luck with Instaboots on RGH3. Now, this is single-handedly one of the coolest things I've seen for the Xbox 360, and I find it so fitting that we're seeing it here, uh, you know, near the end of the life cycle for the Xbox 360. Some people might question why it's happening so late, and I actually had Octal on my other podcast last month, Mario's Minute, where we did discuss RGH3. And a part of why it's coming out so late is just because a lot of this development really has not been done. A lot of these discoveries really have not been made until the last few years where you had the right people on, the right tools at the right time, and just figuring everything out and really going in with that true love for the Xbox 360. So that's why it came out so late, and I mean, if people wanted it earlier, then you know, hey, you know what, if you stuck around or if you want to, it's never too late to jump back into the Xbox 360. This would be a fantastic time. I know several people have asked if I'm going to be covering it in like a tutorial fashion as well too, and I would love to, but I am waiting for this to really not only come out of beta, but also end up getting integration into JRunner. Right now, it doesn't have JRunner integration. Octal is working on it as I'm speaking right now. And on top of that, it is still in beta. And I believe there's still some development that's going on with this as well, too, from what he has told me. Now, I've still got love for the PSP as well, just going over to something else. The Xbox 360 has to be my favorite console, but the PSP has to be my favorite handheld for about the same reasons I'd mentioned for the Xbox 360. And right here, here, we end up getting a update, well, the I guess the first update, you can say, on this for Despertar del Cementerio from Balika011, another friend of the show. Now, he's stating here, this is the second release of Despertar del Cementerio under my development. This version now based on 5.02 instead of 5.00, and also has a new feature, Testing Tool M33. This means you can boot and flash 5.02 
testing tool based firmware on your 01G, 02G, and 03G PSP. Installation is the same as the last version. Now I did single that version out, but there's actually been several different updates to this as well, with one of them being a fix for plugin loading on here. Uh, another one that removed some POPs modules from the testing tool, bumped this up to M33-2. Uh, some more fixes on here and really just, I mean, kind of going up to the highest one at 9.06 that added support for testing tool hardware, which would be a DTP H1500, at least one of them on here. I did also want to showcase this Twitter thread he wrote here asking, how did I manage to pull testing tool firmware on Slim off? Let's start with the fat. The only difference between PSP1000 and DTP H1500 is the UMD versus DVD USB combo drive, plus some debugging hardware we don't care about. The software differences are different VSH menu, fewer kernel driver differences, and older kernel driver key in IPL. Once I re-signed the kernel drivers with 5.02 retail key, it booted right up with retail IPL. It can boot on 02G and 03G too. Of course, for 02G and 03G, we need the drivers like display from retail. The next step was to port M33 over that firmware. Once everything else was working fine, I found a really simple patch to make the firmware use the UMD instead of the combo drive. Thanks to Matthew LH for the help in that. And if you thought we were done with PSP and Balika, no, we absolutely are not. Now, this does not have a release as of yet at the time of recording this. However, him and I did talk about this here, and there was this preview that he ended up putting up. Now, he states here, not ready for a release yet, but still wanted to show it off. Who needs a jig when we have exploits and can boot custom IPL that way on the PSP? Now, just looking at this here, first of all, this is from a testing tool. So, this here is not an actual PSP handheld. This is the controller itself. And by that, I mean this is a part of the PSP dev kit. You'll have the dev kit, which looks kind of like a mini PSP or PC, excuse me. And then you'll have the PSP right here, which is not a real PSP system. It's really just a, you know, display and literally a controller here. So here we go, we're on that. And actually I should even showcase here again, this is version 6.60, testing tool revision A, that's the firmware that this is on. So he comes over to the game section, memory stick, and right here we have Jigglis DC9. Now real quick, just talking about this, this is referencing the Jig or Jig Kick battery, where you know Pandora's battery, Magic Memory Stick, like that combination where if you have a fully bricked PSP, you have your Magic Memory Stick, you pop that in, you use the Pandora's battery, which is battery flash to service mode to boot that up and you know recover your PSP, which is what we were talking about earlier with DC9 or DC9.06 at this point. So here, He's in user land, like the PSP is just running fine here in its standard mode, like it's booting up, it's working, all that stuff. So he boots this up. This is good so far, I mean this on firmware 6.60, it means this has been signed. Now look at this. Flashing, uh, what was that here? Okay, hold on, I missed that, I missed that. What are we looking at? Flashing hacks.bin, there we go, so it flashes that. And we wait, and there we go. So we now have Despertar del Cementerio 
booting up here. And we're able to get into a custom IPL from userland on the PSP, which is just really cool to see. I love seeing developments like this here, and hats off to Belika for working on this. I do, I, I am excited to see a release on this, and I do want to mess around with it once it is out. Now, we're wrapping up this episode here, and this has gone on for quite a while. However, at the end of these episodes, I do like to have some kind of topic here, which is related to modding that can be just random, cool, funny, weird, just something I found really interesting. And, well, I found something like that. Well, more some other people did. And, on top of all of that, we're still not done with the PSP. That's why I put all this stuff at the end here. See see what I did? See what I did? All right, all right, cool. Let's go ahead and just look at this topic. What is so funny, weird, cool related to the PlayStation Portable? If you want something cool, how about a light custom firmware installer in an anime? Yeah, that happened. So this was initially brought to people's attention by Howling Wolf or Chelsea Fantasy. I know they kind of switch up those names here. And there is an anime which I've personally not heard of, but it's called Platinum End, which it states here in this article features a scene in which Neuron's PSP custom firmware installer is visibly shown on the screen. Now, the sequence in the anime itself has nothing to do with PSP custom firmwares. It instead showcases a phone being hijacked remotely, which quickly flashes some hacking code on the screen. But at the trained eye of some scene members, this immediately jumped as some PSP-specific memories from almost a decade ago, complete with Neuron's nickname. And you could see this screenshot right here, like, look at this, LCFW 6.60 installer by Neuron, changes, flashing, Flash zero, and it's flashing all the modules on here, update complete, restarting in six seconds. So we have all of this, and this was even, let's see if we can find this. Now it looks like another Twitter user here, Seth Rain, ended up recording this, and I'll go ahead and play this here. So looking at this, oh my god, that's it. Look at that. So I, I don't have no context here, aside from this is supposed to be a hacking scene, but just looking at this yet again, we come here, that's the PSP, that's the custom firmware installer. That is the custom, <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. I just, I love this, I can't get over that. And just to verify that this was actually from the PSP itself, you can even see this screenshot from a video the Zet did back in 2014. He did the same thing, he was showing it in this video but with the 6.20 installer instead of the 6.60 installer. But you can see it right here, clearly on a PSP, the installer, and it's flashing everything, update complete, restarting in 6 seconds. That's all of it right there. So obviously somebody who is working on this anime clearly has some love for the PSP. Now the funny thing is to me, this is something I'm even kind of like realistically thinking of how it might happen as well too, where let's say the person who worked and put in that easter egg on that specific scene is let's put them at 25 years old let's say so it looks like you know firmware 6.60 that came out around 2011 2012 let's say it's been about 10 years at that point so if they were 15 16 years old at the time they were modifying their psp they ended up going through this or maybe even later on but the point is if that was something at that pivotal version like at that pivotal age range in their life and they were doing that like that could be something even if they haven't used their psp in a while or they still have some undying love for it, which they clearly have to at this point they probably had to 
you know, have some hacking scene type text in there, and they just want to slip in that Easter egg. So I can see that happening with someone who literally grew up with custom firmware who did this maybe 10 years ago and is now in the industry and just wanted to put in that Easter egg and, you know, even show some love and respect as well, too. That's super cool. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. Thank you all for listening and watching. I really do appreciate it. And if you've made it to the end of this episode, I like to do another thing here to reward people and just see who made it to the end. I like to use a keyword or a key phrase. And if you use this keyword or key phrase in the comments of the YouTube upload, I will know that you've made it to the end. Now, because it is the end of the year here, because it is also getting cold in most places of the world, how about we use the word shivering? How about that? Did you play the Shivering Isles expansion on the Elder Scrolls for Morrowind? No, oh my god, I'm tired. Oblivion, Oblivion. I didn't like Morrowind. That's a whole other thing that we can talk about, but we're not going to right now. I really did not like Morrowind. But either way, did you play through that expansion on Oblivion? Have you been shivering whenever you go outside without a cold or a jacket? Are you shivering inside of your house because maybe you just don't want to run the heater all that much because it's going to cost a whole lot of money for your apartment or wherever you're at? Let me know. Let me know by using that word shivering. If you use the keyword shivering in your comment on the YouTube upload. I will know that you made it to the end of this episode. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Matcha. In case I do not see you all for the rest of this year, I guess I'll hopefully see you all next year. And if that's the case as well too, I hope everyone who's listening and watching is able to finish out this year healthy, strong, hopefully happy as well too. And have a safe New Year's as well. I do appreciate you all listening, watching, tuning in. and It's been a real fun year. It really has. And I can't wait to come back next year. <laughs> Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for watching and listening, everyone. Until next time.